I know a lot of people talk about kingdom living, and I believe that this is the way the kingdom will be, but also I believe that Jesus is teaching us this is the way that you and I can live happy, fulfilled lives. And it's interesting to me that the very first beatitude he begins with is that of being poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Tonight I'd like to just ask a question, maybe six questions, and answer those questions about the poor in spirit. What does it mean, question number one, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, The poor in spirit are those who consciously depend on God not on themselves. They are poor inwardly, having no ability in themselves to please God. So at the very basic, most fundamental principle of what it means to be poor in spirit, it means that I consciously depend on God. See, one of the problems we have in our land today is people don't need God. Things are good in America. As bad as they are in America, it's still better than most of the world and we have more than most people have. Most of us in this, in this room tonight have never had to worry about eating a meal. I mean, we, we Baptists make sure we don't miss any meals. Someone said, he's not a free will Baptist, he's a free meal Baptist. But listen to me. I'm not just talking about material needs. matter of fact, I could care less about material needs. This passage of Scripture has to do with the whole, the whole dependency upon God, the whole of the person needing God. And in our land, we don't need God. We've educated ourselves so much that we think we know more than God knows. We have come to the place in our life where we just don't need God. We don't need God for the little things, but certainly we need Him for the big things, but we don't need God for the middle things. And we have come to the place in our lives where we feel like we can do anything we need to do if we just will ourselves to do it. And that's not going to happen. It used to infuriate me. I used to listen to all these speeches that were given around graduation time, and they would give all these graduations, and they would lie to these kids. They would say, you can be anything you want to be if you set your mind to it. That's hogwash. I am not going to play in the NBA, no matter how much I set my mind to it. I am not going to be able to fight against Mike Tyson, no matter how much I set my mind to it. And so we've come to a place in our lives in America because it's been so good for so long that we do not need God. At the heart of all the Beatitudes is an understanding that I desperately need God, that I am utterly dependent upon God, that I cannot do anything without Him. If you're a born-again believer in this room, there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to face the biggest crisis you will ever have to face or you ever, ever faced. And you're going to have to come to the realization that you have no one but God. That's the fact of life. Everyone will have to come to his or her own realization at some point in their life that I cannot do anything without Christ. Simply put, I believe it's humility. The beginning point of happiness, according to Jesus, is biblical humility. 
You and I will never be happy, will never have joy, will never be fulfilled until we have biblical humility. But even in the church, genuine biblical humility, and all humility is, is a a self-awareness that I need God, I have nothing without God, I am nothing without God, That simple awareness of that is humility that should shape every area of our lives. Humility is a real understanding that I need God every day, every hour of every day, in every situation. I need God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, you don't have to be self-deprecating to be humble. You don't have to tear yourself down to be humble. To be humble means that I'm not depending on myself. I'm not depending on my abilities. I'm not depending on anything that's in me. I am depending on God. And if you've never gotten that place in your life, hold on, it's coming. It's coming. Well, you're supposed to be encouraging us. I am encouraging you. I'm encouraging you because when it comes, as it will, I'm telling you that you need to turn to the Lord. There's this this phenomena in psychology that when bad things happen to people, they immediately internalize it and turn many, turn from God and run from Him rather than going to Him. And at the root cause of it is, in our minds, deep down in those dark crevices of our heart and our minds, we believe that God is wrong because He allowed those things to come into our lives which is the very antithesis of what it means to be humble. So this biblical humility revolves around the awareness, the self-consciousness that I need God. I need God. Now, why is, it, why is being poor in spirit so important? Well, I think there's four good reasons. Number one, obviously it's important because Jesus tells us to be, to be humble, right? To be poor in spirit. Because Jesus says it is. He says, look here in verse 3, Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a good reason why we should be poor in spirit. We should be humble. Because Jesus says so. It's amazing to me sometimes when I ask my friends, I have a few friends that I I bounce Bible passages back and forth, and we, we talk about things, we discuss things, and we try to get in depth about things. And sometimes when we ask a question, it's always funny how some of us try to give the most deep answers. We want to be deep. We want to be thought of as having a deep, deep understanding of Scripture. And the funny thing is, it's a simple answer that we don't give, and that's the right answer many times. So being poor, why should we be poor in spirit? Why is it important? Well, number one, because Jesus says it is. Number two, it's a characteristic of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that you are a Christian, I am a Christian, and to be a Christian means that we are called to be Christ-like. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Those of you and I in this room that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Your goal was not to go to heaven. That's the only place saved people go. Your goal and my goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We are the body on this earth. And we are being conformed into His, we are being transformed, I should say, into His image. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, notice this. Let this mind be in you 
which was also in Christ Jesus. This mindset, it's the mindset that Jesus had. If we're going to be Christ-like, we had to have the same mindset that he has, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery or did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. In this, Jesus voluntarily submits himself himself, to the will of the Father. He becomes obedient. Obedient to who? To God and to God's word. He becomes obedient to the death, not only the death, but the death of the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. The reason it's important for you and I to be poor in spirit is because it's a characteristic of Jesus Christ. And if I'm called to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, then I must be like Jesus. Number three. Number three reason. It's a command of Scripture. The Bible commands it. James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It does not say, submit yourself to be humbled by God. It says, humble yourself. It is something we do. It is an act of obedience. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. Listen to me. Church, we have messed up. We have taught people a lot of Bible stories, and a lot of people know Bible stories. But what we fail to teach people to do is their first responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ is to be obedient unto the Word of God. We haven't taught obedience. That's the first thing someone should learn as a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. They should learn to be obedient. It's impossible to be disobedient to the Scripture and please the Lord. So it is important... It is important, and the importance of being poor in spirit is because it's a command of Scripture. And if we're going to be right with God, we've got to obey the Word of God. Number four, it's the only way to spiritual blessing. It's the only way to spiritual blessing. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, he says this, and I read. Oops, I went too far. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, listen, that He may exalt you in due time. In James chapter, 10, chapter 4, verse 10, He said, humble yourselves and He will lift you up. Here in Peter, He says, humble yourselves and He will exalt you in due time. All spiritual blessings come from our poor in spirit attitude towards Jesus Christ. You see, we've gotten this all messed up. In our churches, we want to be the boss. Does anybody in here honestly think, well, let me just say this. Anybody here, who, want, who wants to be the boss of their own lives? Now, now, there are far more people in here telling a lie than raise their hands. It is inherent in every person to be your own boss. 
You don't realize it, but you are slanted that way with your fallen nature that you want to be in control of your life. It always cracked me up. These kids always tell me, nobody's going to tell me what to do, but they let society tell them how to dress, what to listen to, how to act, and what to do. And we point to the kids and say they're foolish for it, but guess what? We do the same thing. The only way to spiritual blessing is to humble ourselves, to be poor in spirit. Now, there are, there's a major hindrance to being poor in the spirit. There's a major hindrance to being poor in the spirit. And that hindrance is pride. Pride is enemy number one. It is the opposite of being poor in spirit. It is something that everyone who's ever lived will have to deal with. John Stott, who was a great theologian and a very humble man, wrote, Pride is your greatest enemy. How many of you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis said this, Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete, listen, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause, the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride. At the heart of every sin is pride. Adultery, pride. Covetousness, pride. Lying, pride. Murder, pride. Everything at the heart of it is pride. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. Pride says I do not need God. It is pride that Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve. Has God not said? Listen, you can have all the fruit of the garden, but this one tree, you don't eat that fruit. And what did Satan do? He went for that one tree. And he convinced Eve in that God knows that in the day you eat this fruit, you will be like him. You will be like him. Pride. Pride. Pride can be subtle. It's sneaky. Many times we can't we can be unaware of its presence in our lives. We can be operating thinking that we're humble following the Lord, but pride has set in. Let me ask you a question, church. Why have some churches split because of the color of carpet or something insignificant like that? Because pride. Because of pride. I heard tell of a pastor, and he was a younger pastor, but he was pretty wise. And he got called to this church, and soon after he got called to this church, he found out that there was, a, there was one lady who primarily ran the church. And he had visited someone else in the church, was another lady who was a widow, and he visited her by himself, and she called him out on it and said, you shouldn't have done that, and raked him through the coals, talked about him and everything, and the pastor didn't know how to deal with this, so he decided he would take matters into his own hands, probably problem number one. So he waited till about dark, and he took his truck and went and parked it out in front of her house and walked home and left his truck at her house all night. Overnight. Let me tell you something. 
Pride can cause us to do some things, even retaliate when we shouldn't retaliate. It can be dis disguised as something as simple as uh, just standing to protect your integrity. You know what else pride can be? Pride can be disguised as something as simple as not praying over something because it's small. I had someone tell me one time, I'm not going to pray over that. God's got too much important stuff to do to listen to my prayer. You're proud. You won't humble yourself and pray. You know what? When they were going to dedicate the temple, you know what God told them? God told them this. He said, listen, when you need, you need rain, this is my, my version, if you need rain... And you, you, uh, and you call on my name, if you'll you know the second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and what? Pray. Do you notice that so close there? He said, if you need rain and you do that, I'll send rain. If I withhold rain because you're, you're not doing that and you repent and you do that, then I'll send you rain. God was sending a message saying this, listen. There are many times when we should be praying more and talking less. You say, well, don't you have to talk to pray? Let me tell you something. I've known men of God who prayed, and they have been in such dire situation, they didn't know what to say, and they just mumbled. God knew their heart. They were talking to God, and they mumbled because they didn't know what was going on. Listen to me. We, we, we got to get this right. Pride is at the heart of every sin. As a matter of fact, pride was what got Lucifer expelled from heaven. He was the worship leader in heaven. And whatever he is now, is not what he was then before the curse and the fall. I mean, he convinced Eve to take a piece of fruit from a talking snake. Think about that. And what you see in these cartoons and these pictures of this forked tongue and these uh, real wicked goatee looking, evil looking character with a pointed tail is not what the Bible says. The Bible says he can transform himself into the angel of light. It reminds me of the time when a church service was going on and the devil came into church. And everybody scattered but one old fellow sitting down front. Devil came up and sat down beside him and said, Who do you think? You, you don't know who I am. Why are you not scared? He said, Mister, I've been married to your sister for 50 years. <laughs> Pride is what caused Lucifer to fall. Number four, what happens when I'm not poor in spirit? Let me tell you what happened. Pride takes root. And guys, listen to me. I'm, I'm trying to be sincere here. Because all of us are susceptible. There have been greater men and women fall than I and than you. Men that we never thought would fall, but pride took root. God blessed them and their blessings. They began to believe what other people were saying about them. And, and they, didn't <clears throat> they didn't heed to the Lord and pride took root. I remember at my ordination, I sat right down there on the front row and my pastor looked at me and he said, Son... If God blesses you and your head begins to grow, put a band around it. I remember him telling me that. Put a band around it. Pride is destructive. It leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It 
will happen. It will happen. Pride left unchecked will cause you to fall. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Watch this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? The pride of life is not of the Father. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The pride of life is going to pass away. All those things that people take pride in are going to burn. They're not going to matter. They're not going to matter. See, it shapes everything about us. It shapes our ministry. If we're too proud, then we won't reach out to the hurting and the suffering. We won't reach out to the down and the broken. We won't reach out to the people who are unlike us, who look different, who smell different, who act different, who talk different who've never been, in, in, never been introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the most meaningful, most sincere ministry I've ever had in my life was when I used to go to Huntington and preach in the jail. Those men knew who they were. They knew what they had done. They knew they were sinners. There was no pride in their lives. They had been stripped of all of that. And they were very receptive to the gospel. I'll never forget, the first time I went, I was scared to death. The guy said, listen, we're going to put you in this room. We're going to shut the bars. There's no guards in there. If something happens, I can't get to you. And I'm thinking, can I preach from over on this side of the bars? And I didn't say that. That's what I was thinking. And they let me go in there, and uh, Larry Higgins was with me, and someone else was with me, and we went in there. And let me tell you something. I needed God. And we got together and we prayed. And before I began to preach, one fellow said, can I, can I sing a song? I said, yes, an acapella. He started singing Amazing Grace. And that gentleman could sing. He did not need music. And before long, in a, in a section probably about half the size of this section right here, full of men in orange jumpsuits and flip-flops, that man stands up, he begins to sing, and one or two or three other joined in. Before long, they all joined in. That night, that night... There were so many guys getting saved, we couldn't even count them. After we gave the gospel, I remember I preached on you're justified by faith alone. And many of them responded to the gospel. And they received the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Pride will destroy you. It will destroy marriages. It will destroy careers. It will destroy your testimony. That's why being poor in spirit is so important. Absolutely important. So what are the results of being poor in spirit? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs, possession. Number one, you're going to be Christ-like. You're going to be Christ-like. Have you ever met someone and when you talked to them, you just felt like Jesus was going to pop out any minute? I mean, they were so full of the Holy Spirit. They had the fruit of the Spirit. They were just always in touch with the Lord, and you just felt like, man, any moment, you're going to see Jesus. I've met a few people like that, and let me tell you, they're the most fun, they're the most warm, they're the most cordial, most caring, most kind people to be around. The results of being poor in spirit is you and I will be Christ-like. Number two, He will lift us up. He will lift us up. 
When we're in trouble, He's going to lift us up. When we're broken, He's going to lift us up. But if we take matters in our own hands and we say, God, we don't need you, then we're on our own and we're going to suffer because of it. We desperately need Him. We desperately need Him. Number three, the kingdom will be yours. It means possessor. When he says yours, it means possession. When he's talking about that, he's talking about inheritance. He's talking about a reward. We don't want to talk about rewards anymore in our land. I've had preachers, well-meaning preachers saying, well, you can't entice people by dangling the carrot of reward. Jesus did. He sure did. And let me tell you, your reward when you serve the Lord with a pure heart and you're, you're poor in spirit and you serve the Lord for who He is and for what He has done, let me tell you something. He will reward you over there. The reason He don't reward you here is because this is temporal. His reward is eternal. It's not temporal. And so therefore, we have to wait until we get there to get it. So the question remains, how do I remain poor in the Spirit? How can I make sure that I am poor in the Spirit? Well, number one, come to a complete understanding that I need God. You come to the understanding that you need God. Don't start your day out without Him. Don't, don't exclude Him from your plans, however insignificant they may be. I remember one time I was deciding on something, and to everyone else it wouldn't have mattered. I was wanting to decide on should I do this or should I do that. It was not a big matter, but I was really concerned about it. And I prayed about it. And I prayed about it, and finally I came to the conclusion, this is what I'm going to do. I felt like God led me to do that. And I was talking about it in one of our Wednesday night Bible studies been many years ago. And one person, one man pulled me over and he said, listen, you don't have to do that. All you got to do is make a decision and go with it. There's nothing like that in the Bible. And I said, well, I, I just beg to differ. The Bible tells me, to, the Lord invites me to call on him and he'll show me great and mighty things, things which I know not. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I could sit here and rattle off all these things about prayer. Let me tell you something. I have never been in trouble because I've prayed too much, but I sure have been in trouble because I haven't prayed enough. I can tell you that. I sure can tell you that. And if you want to split hairs and you want to say that God is not going to answer that, well, then you do that. But I'm going to pray because I need help. And you do too. So come to a complete understanding that you need God every hour of the day. Number two, cultivate my dependence upon him. This is huge. We don't cultivate this. Why? Because we're busy doing our own agendas. We're busy doing our own things. Everybody is lamenting about their kids going back to school. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I know that's wrong, but I love my son. But I, I studied, and, and then when I was finished studying, it was quiet, and I was thinking, and I thought about this. Guys, listen to me. How much of our lives do we spend cultivating things? Throwing a curveball. Throwing a football. Fishing. Hunting. How much of our lives do we spend cultivating all these things that really won't last beyond, for most people, beyond high school? How much time do I spend cultivating my prayer life? <laughs> I just heard of a pastor who's pastored for 50 years. He just came out and wrote a book and he said his biggest mistake in ministry was he did not pray enough. Prayer cultivates our dependence on him. I love Charles Stanley. I love to read about great men 
And people, would, people said at the in, uh, in-touch ministries place, he had them build him a prayer closet, a literal closet that was a room. All it had in it was a chair and a bed and light. No windows, nothing. And they say that, talking about Charles Stanley, that for hours upon the day, he might go in there and be in there alone with the Lord, praying with his word open in his, with the word of God open in his lap. See, if I'm going to cultivate my dependence on him, prayer has to be there, but number two, so does the word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Why do we make it so complicated? Why do we have to have all these Ph degrees and all this stuff to realize that if we're going to cultivate our dependence on God, it takes prayer, it takes the Word of God? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you read through the Old Testament? Man, I'm reading through the Old Testament. I'm I'm enjoying every bit of it. I've read through the Kings. I've read through Samuel. I read through all those judges. Man, them judges, whoo, they were bad. But anyways, I read through all that. And I'm reading of all these men who started out great. King Asa started out great trusting the Lord. Guess what? He took his eyes off the Lord when his kingdom flourished and he got great. And you know I preached it here. The last three years of his life was nothing but war ridden. He got disease in his feet. And rather than depending upon the Lord, he went to the physicians. Now there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. But the way it's written in the Bible emphatically is he refused to go to the Lord. He turned to men instead of the Lord. Hezekiah started out great, right? King Uzziah started out great. Solomon started out great. Guess what he did? He married pagan wives, 700 concubines and wives. Let that sink in. They say he was the wisest man. I take issue with that. Just saying. 700. You know what? God said, do not marry the pagan women because when you marry the pagan women, they're going to turn your heart away from God and turn your heart to idols. Guess what he did? He married them. Guess what they did? They turned his heart away from him and to idols. He built two altars to two of the most despicable idols. And they worshipped him. Let me tell you something. The closer you and I are to God, the more poor in spirit we will be by virtue of the proximity to him. You can't be close to God and be full of idolatry. Can't do it. So I'm cultivating my dependence on Him, my prayer, word, and I'm going to remember my place. I'm a servant. I'm going to remember my place. I used to hear, and my uncle said it one time. He said, that boy's gotten, he's gotten uh, above his raisin. But how many of you have heard it this way? He's a little too big for his britches. You've heard it. You know. You know it. See, sometimes we forget our place. We forget that we're the servant. Jesus Christ came not to be served. He came to serve. And we're to follow Christ. We're to be servants of the Most High God. But the problem is we're serving our own self-centered interests that we're not serving Christ. It's interesting to me, I ran across this story, the Navigators, you know they're well known for their discipleship ministry and they, have a, they place a big emphasis on, on having a servant attitude. And one of the businessmen one day came up to Lorne uh, Sonny and they asked him, the president of Navigators, 
how he could know when he had a great servant attitude. You know what the, the president of the navigator said? He said this, and I quote, by how you act when you are treated like one. You'll know that you have a servant attitude by the response of how you act when you are treated like a servant. We've heard this before. There are too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Right, yeah. Now, we'll probably be in trouble because I don't mean that as a slur against them. It's just a saying. And what that means is everybody wants to be in charge. Nobody wants to be the servant. Remember, Jesus Christ is in charge. He's the head of the church. The rest of us, we're Indians. We follow Him. We follow Him. And we must consciously build humility into our lives. And that doesn't come from just waking up and saying, today I'm going to be humble. That's a proud statement. Humility says this, I can't do it today, God. I need you. I need you to cultivate humility in me. I need to turn to you and trust you so this happens. How many of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom, that great lady who helped all the Jews during the Holocaust. Well, she was an avid believer in Jesus Christ, and she was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. All that she had been through and the platform after she had been through it and how God used her testimony around the world and all this, they asked her, someone had the nerve to say, is it hard for you to remain humble? Her reply was simple. This is what I, she said, quote, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered into that donkey that any of this was for him? That's brilliant. She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in the glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. She had it right. Do you think for one moment... That when Jesus was riding in on that donkey and all the palm branches, all the clothes, the donkey thought, this is for me. I'm such a good donkey. No. No. She says, it's the same. If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. The donkey exalted him above the crowd. And guys, the donkey was just a servant. And you and I are just servants. We're servants of the Most High. The question is, do you want your place or do you want Jesus' place? That's the real issue. The one who's poor in spirit realizes Jesus' place belongs to Jesus. My place is the place of a servant. I'm poor in spirit because I need Him. Let me illustrate this. How many remember Jesus' story about the two men who went into church? And the one stood before everyone and he said, I thank God that I'm not like this guy. I tithe of all that I have. I do my alms. I, I, I. Or the other man who the Bible says he wouldn't even so much as lift his head but beat on his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one do you think 
was poor in spirit. Which one do you think was more right with God? You know. You know the story. It was the one who was beating on his chest saying, have mercy on me. The poor in spirit know that they need God. They cultivate that dependence upon Him. They know that they are servants and relish in the role of serving Jesus and lifting Him up high. But unfortunately, the church is full of those who have their own agenda. Those who would like to exalt themselves, make a name for themselves. They would like to be known as being this or being that or giving this or doing that. It's the one who does what he does or she does because he or she understands his or her role. They're servants. They're committed to Christ. They're poor in spirit. They know they need God. They, They work on that cultivation, cultivating that dependence upon him. They know they're servants and relishing the role of serving Jesus And lifting him high. We were coming back from Myrtle Beach. Our flight was delayed. I wanted to get home. There was a scrimmage football game. I tried desperately. And I realized there's nothing I can do. So what I do. I went and got me a Diet Pepsi and peanuts. Actually I even went and got one. I ate peanuts. And I relaxed. And met a guy from Waverly. Sitting there in the Myrtle Beach airport. And we talked for a while. And On the way back, I was sitting in the middle, and beside me was a gentleman, and he sat to my right, Amy sitting to my left, and in the course of our conversation, we struck up a conversation, he was a veteran, I'm a veteran, we began to talk. He was a pediatrician, and we just began to talk, and then he found out he worked at Cincinnati Children's. I said, more than likely, my granddaughter will be there, and he asked me why, and I told him. He said, oh, yeah. He said, we we see several of those. He was a pediatrician cardiologist. Pediatric cardiologist, excuse me. We had the sweetest conversation. Come to find out he was talking about being in Ukraine. I said, well, why in the world were you in Ukraine? It was a missions trip. Oh, it gets better. And so we had this wonderful conversation from, it's only about an hour flight on the plane. Come to find out he was a member of a Baptist church, Kenwood Baptist Church, up in, up around the Dayton area there, Cincinnati area. And uh, he was active. He was an elder, deacon, something. But we just talked and and our fellowship grew stronger and stronger. He actually opened his wallet, gave me a business card and said, listen, when you get up here, if you need anything, my personal number's on this card. I was like, wow, thank you, man. That's awesome. We were talking. Now listen to me. The flight lands. Keep your trays up, stay in your seat, all that garbage they do. Everybody jumps up when they can. He's sitting there and he said, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I said, I really enjoy it. Thank you. He grabbed my hand and he said, would it be all right if I pray with you before we leave? I said, be all right, man. I would be the best thing that's happened today. Right there on the plane, people all around us, standing up right beside us in the aisle. He has the sweetest prayer. Now listen to me. That blessed my heart. Amy and I talked about that from, from Cincinnati to Batavia. We talked about that. How God just gives us little, little blessings throughout the day. 
And guys, I remember a time when men and women would pray publicly and could care less what anybody else thought because they needed God and they depended on God. And our country is in a bad way and our churches are in a bad way because we no longer need God. Our budget's met. Everything's going the way we want. We have a little extra money. Decent crowds. And we've forgotten that we need God every moment of every day. Those who realize this, those who are conscious of this, on a moment-by-moment daily basis, they are the poor in spirit. And in our culture, people put a premium on the knowledgeable, the arrogance, the guy that can get things done. But in God's world, in a biblical worldview, it's the one who knows he needs God and depends on him is the one God blesses. I want to be that guy. I want to be, but now listen, I don't want to be that guy so that God gives me something. I want to be that guy because it's right. And because Jesus tells me I'm never going to be happy unless I am that guy. You want to know why so many church professing believers are so miserable? Because they're not poor in spirit. They don't need God. They don't need God. Their life is good, or so they think it is, until the wheels fall off the wagon. So I will tell you this. When Jesus comes up on the mountain, he sits down, and his disciples come around him, and the Bible says he opens his mouth and teaches them, the first thing he wants his disciples to know, they will never be happy until they are poor in spirit. Peter. you got to love Peter. I mean, Peter's the one that always speaks up first. He's the one out of the boat first. He's the one that always does that. Gee, everybody leaves you, Lord. I'm not going to leave you. Oh, really, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. And he does. And he's broken. And he feels dirty. And he runs out and he weeps. The Lord restores him and even tells him when he restores him, you're going to die. Somebody's going to carry you away. I think it's 52 days later maybe or so many days later, 40-some days, I don't remember how many it is, 40 days I think. He stands in front of the people, the very people of whom he denied Christ. He stands in front of them And he says this, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Savior and Lord. What made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. Peter went from, depending on his ability, he was broken and he learned to depend on Jesus Christ. He spent the remainder of his days 
serving Christ till his death, in which he pleaded that they would crucify him upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner Jesus Christ did. He didn't lament and wail when he went to the cross. He went to the cross willingly, dying for his faith in Jesus Christ. The poor in spirit know they need God. They know and they cultivate that dependence on Him. They know their servants and they relish in the role of serving Jesus and lifting Him high. Are you poor in spirit? You say, no, I'm not, Pastor. And to be honest with you, it scares the living life out of me. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. Let me ask you this. What would you do if you have nothing else to do? Wouldn't it be better for you and I to run out while things are good and say, Lord, I'm going to cultivate that dependence on you now. I'm not going to wait until you bring something in my life to force me to that point. See, here's the thing, church. Here's the big pink elephant in the room. If you don't humble yourselves, he will humble you. Are you poor in spirit? Can we bow for just a moment?